and I just want to speak to you about missions. So we want to prepare our hearts for missions and for uh, our missions emphasis weekend, our missions conference. So let's read, uh, I'm going to read out loud Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 4, and then we'll have a short word of prayer and we'll kind of get into this today. The Bible says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to open your word to talk about, think about um, worldwide evangelism, the need to get the gospel out to a lost and dying world. So help me as I bring this lesson this morning. Pray that you'd bless our time together. We pray, Lord, for the Sunday school classes going on downstairs as well, that you'd speak to the hearts of the young children that are there, to the uh, teenagers, the young men and women, and uh, draw each of them, Lord, closer to you. And I pray, Lord, this morning, uh, whether it's in the morning worship service, the Sunday school hour, that um, if someone comes today that has never received Christ as their Savior, they would realize their need of Jesus. Especially pray for a number of the children that were brought in today that have yet to make a profession of faith in Christ. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd work on their hearts and cause them to realize their need of Christ. But thank you for this day and each and every day that you give us to live for you, to serve you, to walk with you. We're thankful for your promise that you'd never leave us, nor would you forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you look on your handout, I have a quote here from a, a, a well-known preacher by the name of John Stott. And um, John Stott said this, there's but one living and true God, the creator of the universe the overlord of the nations and the God of the spirits of all flesh. Some 4,000 years ago, he called Abraham and made a covenant with him, promising not only to bless him, but also through posterity to bless all the families of the earth. And then, of course, we've already read the scriptures. But then down below that, this biblical text is one of the foundation stones of the Christian missions. For Abraham's descendants are Christ and the people of Christ. If by faith we belong to Christ, we are Abraham's spiritual children and have a responsibility to all mankind. Like the scriptures say that Abraham, he is the father of our faith. He's a man who walked by faith. Galatians, if you look on the next page of your handout, says this, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, that's all of us, we're the heathen. Right? That's what he's talking about. <laughs> the heathen through faith preached before the Gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So the next paragraph, the nation of Israel was established 
to draw the nations to worship the one true living God. In the New Testament, however, the methodology is different. The nations are to be drawn toward God as the church goes to all nations to proclaim the gospel. In either case, God expresses his interest and his intention of drawing all people groups to himself. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just kind of review. This is kind of like an introductory lesson as we move forward in these next several weeks and talk about missions. So first we want to talk about the Old Testament and, and God reaching out toward mankind and trying to bring mankind back into a right relationship with Him. So if you notice on your handout, the Old Testament, missions in the Old Testament, now this is a word you probably don't use very much, was centripetal. So what does that mean? Missions was centripetal. What would you think that meant? Well, the clue, the key, is in what we've already just read. The introduction and, and in the paragraph before it. Adam? Yeah, that's a good definition of it, actually. Very good. That everything goes around it. That, um, that, that everything is drawn to it. And so missions, really, if you think of missions in the Old Testament... God used the nation of Israel to do that. And so we want to look at that. So for instance, here we're in Genesis chapter 12, but if you were to just do a quick study in Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 11, of course, Genesis chapter 1 would start with creation. Amen? And God created the heavens and the earth. And then we would see in Genesis chapter 2 a particular uniqueness, the uniqueness of man in God's creation. So what is that? What is the uniqueness? I mean, God created the heavens and the earth and all that there is. He created man. But in the, in the creation of mankind, there's a specific uniqueness that's really not found in the rest of creation. And what is that? He made man according to his likeness and to his image. That's right. We make, let's, let us make man in, in our image. And what else? What's part of that? The soul. He breathed into man. A man became a living soul. And um, this, this, this is the way I understand it. And this, I'm sorry, but it always upsets animal lovers. And I don't mean to, but animals don't have a soul. And uh, so they're not going to live... in. in, in there, there may be animals and probably will be animals in heaven, but animals don't have a soul. That, that's what distinguishes you and I from the rest of creation. So we have a soul that's going to live in either one or two places for all of eternity. And that, that is heaven or that is hell. And so we're mindful of that. But then man's sin demands judgment. And again, we don't have time, but in Genesis chapter 7, uh, well, in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that God saw that the wickedness was man was just, of man was great in all the world. And so what did God do in, in, in Genesis chapter 7? If I could use some quick Bible quizzes this morning. What happened in Genesis chapter 7? Anybody remember? He's a very important figure in the Scriptures. And I could give you a hint, but if I gave you a hint, I would just give it, I'd give you a couple of hints. Noah! 
All right, Noah. And God spoke to Noah and, and had Noah build an ark and brought the... Man, you're right on it this morning. Good thing you're... Do you have an extra cup of coffee or what today? All right, got a good night's sleep. And so God brings... brought God through that is going to bring judgment uh, and did bring judgment uh, upon the world. And then... Um, what happened in Genesis chapter 11? Anybody remember? Yeah, okay, you're enough over there. All right, enough. All right. He said it like a year. Not, 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 not in the Bible. Because we're in chapter 11. Chapter 11. Right? But see, you're, but I'm saying, like, I just look over it. All right, all right. That's okay. That's, 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 still on. that's where we have Bible. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel. Right. And, uh, and, and that's. What I just said. <laughs> what did God do then? By the way, separated the sons of Noah. Yeah. And, and how did He do that? Somebody else. Okay, you're getting it. I'm, I'm very, I'm very impressed with you, Adam. Okay, but somebody, else. let's let some other people get involved here. Yes. He um, like separated them by using, uh, making different languages and scattering them across the earth. Yes, He confused their languages and. Uh, and then they were dispersed. And what did they build? Somebody other than Mike and other than Adam. What did they build? Built a tower. Built a tower. And uh, by the way, uh, was those towers were you? If you study really uh, <coughs> ancient history, you'll find those towers were built all over the world. You ever think about that? That that spread of of that religion. Uh, it seems to be indicative that that, that false religion, and it, it, you know, it says they tried to build a tower into the heavens. I don't, I don't believe they actually literally tried to reach the heavens. I think that they worshipped the heavens. And um, that's a whole other lesson for a whole other time. But uh, you'll find what are called, I think they're called ziggurats all over the world. And... Um, um, but anyhow, God confused their languages. But then we know that God desires to reconcile with man. When was the first time? Let me ask you this question. I will turn there in just a minute. But when, in fact, if you want, just go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3 because that's the first time, that is the first time that, that we have in the Scriptures um, a promise that God would make a way to redeem all of mankind. So if we look in Genesis chapter 3, and after Adam and Eve has sinned, the Bible says this in, in verse 15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And he says unto the woman, I shall greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. That's the first time in verse 15 that God makes a promise that God would send a Redeemer into the world. And, um, and then, of course, in chapter 3, they're banished, they're removed, dr driven out from the Garden of Eden in uh, verse 24, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So we see that there as well in Genesis chapters 1 through, through 11. And then, again, in at the bottom there, God scatters man by virtue of confusing uh, of the languages. And that brings us to, so, so now you have to picture the world that we have here. We have a world that, yes, you want to say something? Uh, 
heard recently that the spikes driven through Jesus' feet actually went through his heel. That's what I heard. Yes, I've heard that too. That it went through his heel. So that's uh, so that's what, what I think. What you're pointing out, Bill, is is in verse number um, fifteen, where it says that thou shall bruise his um, thou shall bruise his heel. Yeah, and I heard as well that that, and, and I've read that the nails driven through his hands really were through his wrist. That would because of the the bones there would help to keep you on the cross. So um, so we understand that, but. Now we come to um, the Abrahamic covenant and the idea that um, really as far as worldwide goes, because we know in the book of Genesis, for instance, that God reached out, reached out before um, Genesis chapter 12. Um, even with the Cain and Abel, even when Cain sinned again and, and murdered his brother, it seems as if God was reaching out to Cain and um, but previous to that, when they brought the offerings, and God rejected um, Cain's offering, and Cain had an opportunity to make the offering right, and he just didn't want to do it. And um, and we see God reaching out. God, I believe, God has always reached out to man and always has wanted to reconcile with mankind. But we move now into the Abrahamic covenant in chapter 12. And, and um, uh, I also wrote for you here on your handout, Genesis 22, 18. And thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So that's what's known, uh, what we've read is known as the Abrahamic covenant. Some of which those nations uh, that with regards to Israel that bless you, I will bless those nations that uh, do not bless you, I will curse. So there's a number, by the way, of, of covenants in the Bible. So we have, we have, well, what would be the Noahic covenant? The covenant that God gave to Noah. Yes, Dennis. <coughs> That's the sign of the covenant. Yeah. And so what, what then was the promise of that covenant? Yeah, he wouldn't destroy the earth with a flood. Never, he never promised that he wouldn't destroy the earth, but he said he wouldn't do it with a flood. So that's the, the Noahic covenant. There's a couple of other covenants in the Bible. There's the Mosaic covenant. What's the Mosaic covenant? Anybody know? What would you, what would you think it would be? The Mosaic covenant. Well, that was when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And the law was given... The 600 and some odd laws were given to guide the nation of Israel. I've often said that was the constitution of Israel. It talked about spiritual things. It talked about family. It talked about um, business practices. You read through the covenant and all of those things are all found there. And so that's the Mosaic covenant. What about the Davidic covenant? What's the Davidic covenant? The covenant that God gave to David? Yeah, that the lineage of David and, and through the, and the Messiah and, and that the, uh, the offspring of David would rule and reign on the throne. Yeah. Yeah. What's the greatest covenant in the Bible? Go ahead. Salvation yeah. Jesus. Yeah, the new covenant is uh, the salvation that we have through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. 
But God has made these covenants down through time in, in the Abrahamic covenant. So if God is going to bless his people that bless Abraham, and of course, out of Abraham, the son of a lot of, a lot of questions. I'm keeping you involved. So who's the son? Who, who was born to Abraham? Abraham, who's, the, who's his offspring? Abraham, huh? Isaac, and then Isaac and his children. And out of his children would become one son whose name would be changed to Israel. And um, I know the three of you are just chomping at the bit right now to answer this, but don't answer it. So, so who's, what? Jacob. Okay, you're done too. You're back there. Yeah, you're done. All right. Very good. I'm impressed. Very impressed. So Jacob, and God changes his name. And so there's the 12 tribes. Uh, and um, the nation of Israel is founded. But this is how in the Old Testament, God would bring the, the peoples of the world, the people groups of the world, um, to know him. It would be, they would be drawn to Israel and to the people of Israel and to the nation of, of Israel. So the, on your handout, the ministry and witness of Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 and 7 say this. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. And that's why we call the people of Israel God's chosen. But you and I as believers are God's chosen as well. We put our faith in, in, in Jesus Christ. But the Lord did not set, it says, the Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. But God raises up this nation. And um, this nation was meant, uh, as the nation was built, to draw the peoples of the world to the one true living God. Because the peoples of the world, they were, you know, atheism. Atheism is really a fairly modern philosophy. You probably go back 150 years uh, when atheism really began to find its way into different cultures. But prior to that, all cultures, they had some form of religion. They were just false religions. And Satan has done a good job of developing false religions. I've often said through the years that false religion sends more people to hell than any kind of sin that you could think of. And um, But the nation of Israel, God, God raised up that nation. And um, the peoples of the world were drawn to that nation. Here's an example on your handout. I think it's on the, on the next page. 1 Kings chapter 10. And it said this, And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Now, before I get any further, who is this? anybody know who this is talking about? It's a she. Someone came and uh, who knows? Anybody? Go ahead. Yeah, the Queen of Sheba. She comes up from Africa. And the Queen of Sheba comes and she sees Solomon's kingdom. And she's just so impressed and amazed. And so again, she says, it was a true report. So she, apparently, the news of Israel and the nation of Israel was spreading throughout the world at that time. That I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. 
Howbeit, I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. As much as she heard, she said, this is, this is even more than I was told. And um, she said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. So she was so impressed, and tradition says she went back and, and brought the faith of the one true living God with her back to her people. So you understand what's happening here. And this is just one example. God raises up this nation, the Queen of Sheba. She hears of it. The news is spreading throughout the world. She wants to come and see it. And uh, so she comes. She sees it. She's impressed by it. She's, it's just unbelievable what the God of Solomon has done. And because of that, uh, I believe that she becomes a believer in the one true living God. And by the way, that's my favorite term for God in the Bible. The living God. Because all the other gods are dead. They, they're just, they're just, they have ears, but they cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. But there's only one true living God. Amen? And so she goes back with the news of the one true living God. There's other examples uh, that you might think about. What's another example before we move on and um, that you could think of where a pagan government or a pagan God was impressed and God used the Israelites and the nation of Israel to impress them? Go ahead. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. That would be one. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and um, uh, what else? Some others. Anybody can think of anybody else? Yes. The three wise men. Yeah. Now that's an interesting one, the three wise men. Well, we don't know if there was three. We'll just say the wise men. It doesn't say that there were three, but I understand what you're saying. But the wise men came because they the scriptures got to them. They were, they were, they were called wise men because they were reading the scriptures. And I think it's in the book of Numbers, maybe it's in the book of Isaiah, where it says that a, a scepter would rise in the east. And they had seen these scriptures. And they had seen a miraculous sight in the heavens. And they were drawn. I, they were drawn, I believe, both by the scriptures and by the scepter that rose in, in, in their sight. Yes? And what was the second one? Yeah, that would be in the New Testament examples. But Naaman would be an Old Testament an example. Um, and actually, on your handout, I have some below where the prophecies concerning the Messiah are some other Old Testament examples of relationship with Gentiles. So, for instance, Abraham, his witness, you study the life of Abraham. He interacted with the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Hittites, the Egyptians. Uh, we have the story of Naomi and uh, then her daughter Ruth and Orpha. And what did, what did Naomi, now Naomi, she, or um, Ruth, she was a Gentile. Famous verse in, uh, in the book of Ruth. What did she say when uh, um, their husbands died? 
or excuse me, um, Naomi's husband died, and then the sons died. And um, anyhow, she said, "Why don't you go back to your people?" And so, what did what did um, what did Ruth say to her to her to her mother-in-law? What did she say? Right, your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. So she was impressed, and so again we see God dealing that way. Uh, Esther and Mordecai, and and uh, who was the wicked guy there? What's his name? Who wanted to kill all the Jews? Somebody tell Amen. me. Amen. And uh, we see, and and what's the famous verse? This is very good. What's the famous verse in the book of Esther that uh, uh, I think was it Mordecai that said to to uh, to Esther, what was what did she what did he say to her? You can paraphrase it if you can't get it exact. Yes, you were born for such a time as this, and uh, she was raised up there and to rescue uh, to rescue her people. But but uh, the decrees that were put out by these after all these events took place about worshiping the one true living God. Jonah, the reluctant prophet, sent to the Ninevites. Jonah hated the Ninevites. But God, but God was seeking a relationship there. And then we've already talked about Daniel. So there in the Old Testament, God raises up this nation, and either people are drawn to this nation or out of this nation come these people, uh, Daniel and, uh, and, and, the, and the prophets, Jeremiah, he's taken... Uh, and he's in the captivity, uh, the Babylonian captivity. Um, and so God, God uses the nation that way to bring people to the one true living God. And of course, in the Old Testament are many, many prophecies concerning the Messiah uh, and the coming of the Messiah. I just put one here for you, Isaiah chapter 11. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. And I'm reminded, reminded that this was written about 500 to 600 years before Jesus walked on the earth. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious, and he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So that's our Old Testament. That's the Old Testament. God drawing people to himself through the nation of Israel. But now we move to the New Testament. And so if centripetal means the drawing in, this word, another word we don't often use, um, I think it's pronounced centrifugal. I might have that not pronounced correctly, but so obviously what would that be? Yeah, you go out. You go out in the founding of the church. So obviously it starts with the birth of the Savior. In, in Luke chapter number two. Um, but notice this on, on the verses that I put. Look what it says. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. All right, so what is that? What's the consolation of Israel? The Messiah coming. Simeon was waiting for the coming of the Messiah. For mine eyes, he said, now he sees Jesus, the, the, the Christ child. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. 
So by the way, did you notice here too that while God rose up the people, the Jewish people as a chosen nation, his interest is still always have been in both the Jew and in the Gentile, the peoples of the world. Then of course the ministry of Jesus, again primarily to the Jews, but we see in the ministry of Jesus him reaching out to Gentiles. And when I mean John when John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that pretty much covers everybody. Amen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a great promise. So examples on the, on the last page of Jesus reaching out to um, Gentiles. So this is just a couple. Uh, the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember there in John chapter 4, it said Jesus needs go through, some, through Samaria. And if you remember that the Samaritans and the Jews traditionally did not like one another. They didn't have dealings with one another. For this Jewish man, Jesus, to stop at the well and to talk with the Samaritan woman, this was a big deal. And um, of course, he leads her uh, to the living water as she was trying to draw water out of the well. And she goes back to her village and she tells everyone, listen, come see a man that told me everything I've ever done. And then the ten lepers. You remember the ten lepers? The only, there was only uh, one that returned to give thanks and the one that returned to give thanks, that was a Samaritan. And then the, centur the seven, seven centurions mentioned in the New Testament uh, every time they're mentioned, they're mentioned in a good light. But centurions, who are centurions? Who, somebody tell me, what is it? First of all, what is a centurion? Huh? The soldiers. The Roman soldier, if I remember correctly, a centurion had to rule over, I, I believe it was a hundred soldiers. Yeah, that's what they call a centurion. hundred soldiers. Yeah. <laughs> and so... Uh, in every instance of a centurion that's mentioned in the Bible, uh, they're really held in a great light. They, they, these are, but, but, but where do they come from? Rome. They're Roman soldiers. So the Gentiles, and they come to know Jesus. Uh, many of them, uh, whether it was Jesus ministering to them or um, uh, also in the book of Acts, we see this as well. So these are just a few examples of of Jesus reaching out. But then the church is established. And uh, then what we would commonly refer to has been commonly referred to as the Great Commission. The commission that Jesus said, now, now we want you, Jesus said to believers, we want you to go out and we want, we want you to preach the gospel to people. We want you to tell people about saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So Matthew 28, go ye therefore and teach all nations, he said to the disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So let me ask you, as the church was formed there in Jerusalem, how successful in the beginning were the disciples of following Christ's command with regards to the Great Commission? How successful were they? They didn't do well at all. The church in Jerusalem was growing, but they and so what caused them to go? Persecution. Yeah, it's persecution kind of pushed them out. And then God, of course, saved 
um, Paul on the road to Damascus. Damascus, Paul's on his way to Damascus trying to arrest Christians. And um, he, was, he, came to, he, he came to know the Lord on the road. And, he, and this is just one example, of, great example of, in Romans chapter 10. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him and whom they have not believed? How shall they believe on Him and whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? It is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And so you know the history of the Apostle Paul. He was sent out out of the church. Um, we'll look at that in just a minute. But I was preaching up in uh, Berlin, Vermont on Friday at a pastor's meeting, but it took place in a Christian school. And so they invited the uh, 7th through 12th grade students to come in. And oh, I don't know, there probably were 50 or 60 students there. So I just, I, I challenged them. I challenged them to uh, really, I, I preached a message to them being careful about their minds and thinking. It, actually, it was uh, the Sunday school lesson that I preached here last Sunday morning. But I kind—I I didn't want to end on any kind of a negative note. I wanted to encourage them that they all had such great potential that God could use them in a great way if they would just let their minds be transformed by the one true living God, by the Spirit the Holy Spirit of God, and that God could call them to be missionaries, to be preachers, to be missionary wives, school teachers, godly business people. I don't know if young people get preached to like that any longer. Where's the challenge? I read the articles of the Christian colleges, numbers dwindling. The mission field, numbers dwindling. Many of the missionaries, when I got involved in all of this and God gloriously saved me 40 years ago, I can remember the day going to preacher's meetings where a preacher and his family would show up literally with a U-Haul trailer, get a place to live and start a church from nothing. You don't see that any, much any longer. What about the young people? I don't, I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe it's just, I'm wondering. But when you get a chance, you know, that that's really become almost now my life's verse in Psalm 71, where David said, Now when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength to this generation, to the young people. I'm glad we have young people in our church. Teenagers and young men and young women and, and junior age. There are many churches that are just filled with older people. We need the young people. You know, even the guys who are now, you know, I'm one of the old guys. I remember when I was one of the young guys. We need, and now some of the young guys aren't so young anymore and they're getting into their 40s. They're going to be like one of the old guys before. But 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 the early church they these were these were people who just they went and and down throughout history there's been different missionary movements 
Brother Thornton's going to be here. He's been in Argentina for probably 30 years establishing churches. His, his race is winding down. I'm not saying it's over, but his, at this point in his life, he's probably in the fourth, fourth lap of a four-lap race. It's winding down. Now, Brother Adrian Burden is going to be here. He's probably in the second lap of his race, maybe going into the third lap. So God's using him here in the United States, and God's using him in... Um, oh, I just forgot where he... Um, he's, going, he's, he's going into... Huh? Latin America. A specific country I was thinking of. God's using him. Brother DeWitt. You know, he's getting up there in years. But he goes into Myanmar... And what he's doing is he's encouraging young uh, men in Myanmar to be called into the ministry and to train them and for them to start churches in that area of the world. But there needs to be a call. There needs to be a call to, to, for people to be called to the mission field, to be called to be preachers. Because how Paul asks the question, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And by the way, missions is not only across the sea, it's right here where we live. How shall our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him if nobody tells them about Him? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so we've run out of time, but then the early church, in other words, the church in Antioch, certain prophets, teachers, Barnabas, Simeon was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch as, and Saul. They ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So Paul, three missionary journeys that Paul went on. And I just put another example. In Acts chapter 16, the great Macedonian call. Paul was going to head to Asia and God calls him to Macedonia. And then we finish with the conclusion of this age in Revelation 5.9. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou hast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Every kindred, every tongue, and people, and nation. The only way that can happen is for God's plan to be fulfilled and God will fulfill that plan and God will call people. But in heaven, if there's going to be people from every kindred, every tongue, every people, and every nation, well, how shall they hear? How shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And so we see as the gospel is being spread out throughout the world. That's the plan of God. In the Old Testament, people were drawn to Israel. In the New Testament, the church sends people out. And... Um, that's why we have missions. That's why we've always supported missions. That's why we've always encouraged you to evangelize. That's why we've always um, did visitation. That's why we run a bus. That's why what we do. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Bless the morning worship service. Lord, as we look forward to our missions conference coming up, we pray that, Lord, we prepare our hearts um, and we, we pray, Lord, for this church and for the young people in this church that you might touch their hearts and call someone here into full-time service. Um, whether it be in the mission field or serving in a local church, we just pray, Lord, uh, we just pray for people to, to go and to fulfill the Great Commission. In Jesus' name, amen.
We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.